0: So I think when I made that realization of like, wow, unless I learn how to slow myself down, I'm not going to be able to get the best out of people and learn the most that I can about what's going on in the world. It's going to cost me.
1: If you're not speaking directly to that customer base, remember, we don't want a follower base. We want a customer base. Then it's not going to do you any good.
2: Both potential residents and adult children consume media where they're looking for answers and get each community in front of those people that they need to reach in a way that is likely to result in positive interaction versus just more noise
1: welcome to season six of bridge the gap a podcast dedicated to informing educating and influencing the future of housing and services for seniors powered by sponsors AcuShield, align nick map vision ProCare hr hamilton captel service master patriot angels the Bridge Group, construction and Salinity, and produced by Salinity Marketing.
3: Welcome to Bridge of Gap Podcast, the Senior Living Podcast with Josh and Lucas. We are at the Smash Sold Out Conference 2023 here in Las Vegas, having a great time, meeting some great people, and having amazing conversations. And on that topic today, we've got an amazing guest, Daniel Stillman. You're an author and a speaker, and you've got a great book here titled "Good Talk." Welcome to the show.
0: Thank you very much, guys. I'm glad to be here.
3: We're super glad that you're here too. And you have a podcast. This is not your first rodeo.
0: You know, there's a great joke about this where it's like, I didn't know I was supposed to learn everything at my first rodeo, guys. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's my second rodeo, but God, it's like I could use some pointers still.
3: <laughs> well, you were a speaker today and yes. on I think it was page two <laughs> two twenty three.
0: I usually can't, I don't know chapter and verse of my own book because you know, you just put it on the page and then you forget about it. But We did talk about some frameworks for people I work as an executive coach. Mainly my theory of change is basically like it's a leader's job to find the stuck conversations and unstick them in, in the organization, not necessarily to have to solve all the problems, but to unblock people and to, to create fluid conversations where there are blocked conversations. Cause when you're just going in circles over and over again, it gets boring in the workshop. I think one of the uh, the big hand-raised moments was, who has ever been in a meeting where you felt like you were solving the wrong problem? Lots of hands. Who has been in a meeting where you're talking about the same problem over and over again? Lots of hands. And so to me, what I would call conversational leadership is being able to break out of those cycles into positive, productive, transformative conversations.
4: Well, and that is a great foundation for you to be able to give our listeners, who most of which probably were not able to get to this sold out event, a sampling of Mm -hmm. the framework that you took these attendees through. So talk us through a little bit of the framework of how you make this happen in your organization or your team.
0: It starts with just the conversation facts. So my first degree was in physics. It's about having a set of equations that you can solve the universe with. Like that's what we love in physics. My second degree is in design, industrial design. And so I think about Materials. And one of the things they taught us in school is like, if you're making something out of clay or steel or glass, it's going to be different. So you got to know your material. And when you're a leader, when you're on a team, the material is people and the materials, conversations. One of the frameworks I told them are not frameworks, it's just facts. We can talk at 125 words per minute. 125 words per minute is not a lot. We can read at uh, around 250. So the first thing I told them that they can do to transform their meetings is actually talk less read more. This is something that the most innovative companies do. They have a pre-read. They're in a Google document. They're reading and writing together because it's actually faster. You can process more data more quickly. And if people just Google uh, silent meeting manifesto, just run a silent meeting. You're going to actually be a lot more effective because people won't be talking over each other. They're going to be reading and writing together. But there's another number, which is really terrifying, which is 4,000. 4,000 is how fast we can think. So you guys are thinking right now, you're like, do I have another question? I should, where do I want to go with this? Like, do I want to ask more? Do I want to take it in a different direction? And it's your job to be interviewing me. So you're being very patient and thoughtful about it. In an average conversation, our minds are whizzing, 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 whizzing. And there's two aspects of this. One is we can't assume that what somebody has told us is everything that they're thinking about a problem. And for leaders, this is especially challenging because if somebody says, here's the problem and you go, here's the solution, here's what I think you should do, you've literally heard just the tiniest tip of the iceberg of what's going on for them. So the idea is to slow it down and ask for more. I mean, it's basic. Everyone here has probably heard of active listening, but actually practicing it takes guts and patience. Slowing the conversation down is hard because of that 125, 4,000 gap. The other one, is 400 and 600. 400 milliseconds is the average gap between when somebody speaks and when we feel like we should drop in because there's too much silence. 400 milliseconds is how fast it is between the starter pistol and Jackie Jordan or Percy getting off the blocks, which is really fast. Yeah. Right? And we're like, oh, there's just too much silence here. 600 milliseconds is how long it takes for us to form a thought, figure out what we're gonna say. So most of what we're responding with is garbage or where we think someone was going to get to. So that's one of the things I really wanted people to understand is that the numbers game and the fact that we have to do something differently to change the, the conversation. Slow down, ask more. It's very simple.
4: Give me the opportunity to ask you, what was your aha moment? I, I mean, you're making this sound simple, but I have a feeling <laughs> there's some there's something that happened in your life that was an aha moment. You're like, I need to write this because nobody's got this figured out yet. What was it for I'll you? hurt
0: you, Daniel. Yeah.
4: <laughs> <laughs>
0: you know, I, one of my first jobs out of grad school was working as a, an experienced design researcher. So I would go to homes around the suburbs of New York City and ask people about how they use the products and services in their lives. And for everyone who's listening, if you want to talk to customers, uh, it's actually the wrong word. You want to go listen to customers, right? You want to really learn what's their real life like. What's happening at the dinner table when they're making a decision about going to a senior care living? That was the session yesterday, right? How are we really gonna peel back the layers and understand the conversation that's happening? What's so easy to have happen? And I'm sure this happened to you guys in your work, and you got a list of questions. And they answer one, and you're like, I gotta move on to my second question. I'm running out of time. And they finish the first question. They take the break, that 400 millisecond break, and you start your next question. And this has happened to me. You take a breath in and they see that you're asking and they go, oh, what was your next question? And and you go, oh, no, no, Like I see you're about to say something more. There's always something more that somebody's going to say. And if, and if I ask my next question as they're thinking of something else, I've obliterated it. It's happened to me so many times in my life where somebody's just about to say something more as I'm asking my next question. And I really realized, wow, my urgency, my sense of urgency is erasing the opportunity to learn more from someone else. So I think when I made that realization of like, wow, unless I learn how to slow myself down, I'm not going to be able to get the best out of people and learn the most that I can about what's going on in the world. It's going to cost me. And so I think that's that's part of where it came from for me. And the other is just like my own experiences of being told when I wanted to be asked. It really is awful when your leader takes something off the table for you. When you thought like, you know, I had an opportunity to offer my creative solution and they're like, no, too much urgency. I'm going to solve this for you. It's really disempowering. And that definitely happened to me in my career. And so that, that matrix that's in the book of the asking versus telling, just really being able to navigate that with effectiveness, to ask the right questions that really unlock people, and then to tell, to say what's really going on for me when and this is the flip side of it it's just being able to say what's happening when it matters being able to navigate that ask versus tell spectrum is so important and and it's i think in our personal lives we know it in our professional lives we know it so it's i've had a lot of failures massive failures that i've wanted i've wanted to to really nail uh better in the future so that that's for me well
4: thank you for the transparency lucas this is pretty pretty cool that we get to sit down i always feel i told you i feel like i get an MBA off of listening to the thought leaders we have on our show. It's amazing. It is. And I loved how you put those two things together about other people's
3: experiences and then also your personal experiences of being treated that way. It really helps me understand that kind of concept. And I think that most of our listeners can say, yes, that, you know that's happened to me. And I didn't like that either.
0: <laughs> right. And this is the platinum rule for leadership, right? Servant leadership is treating people the way we want to have been treated.
3: Daniel, we know that you have a busy schedule. This is great. So how can people connect with you and listen to your podcast or your book?
0: Yeah, uh, I'm very uh, search engine optimized. <laughs> I guess if you Google Daniel Stillman, I'm I'm one of a few. They can go to DanielStillman.com. They can see lots of articles I've written about silent meetings and about the talking thinking gap if they want to learn more about it. The coaching model that I taught today is in there as well. It's called the Soon Coaching Model, S-S-O-O-N. So if you want to start coaching with your teams, there's some simple ways of getting started. Um, And they can find Good Talk wherever fine books are sold. Um, But if they go to my website, they can get a free chapter. um, And there's some worksheets and stuff that they can't get from Amazon.
3: Josh, I don't know about you, but this is some of the most practical information in a condensed, very short conversation (laughs) that i think that i've ever heard and so i can't wait to dive into this book.
0: Oh, thank you, brother. I really appreciate that. I also forgot to say my podcast is the com, So that's they can find some of my episodes and i'd love to have you guys on sometime. It'd be fun to ask you about how you do your thing. Well,
4: we've got it recorded. We're going to hold you to it. And i'm actually thank you so much uh for our copies of the book. Yeah, I can't readers. wait to read this. He wasn't going to give these to us. Yeah. Of course, well, no, they were That's why i
0: said Smash it. Smash has paid for it. Yeah, i know exactly. <laughs>
3: we want to welcome to the show brooke sellis welcome to the program
1: hey thanks for having me
3: so brooke tell our listeners your title and your company and i think we're going to be focusing today on social media
1: yes so i started my company b squared media just about 12 years ago we do social media customer care it's called b squared media And yeah, we're just trying to teach people how to use organic social media to gain more revenues, sales, and more loyal customers.
3: So what does organic social media mean? I mean, is this... I'm glad you asked that. I was about to ask that as well. At Whole Foods as opposed to Walmart or? Yeah, well, that's
1: (laughs) that's the whole joke, right? If you go into Whole Foods and you see something labeled as organic, you know you're a social media person if you automatically think of social versus food. (laughs) But I digress. (laughs) so organic social just means no paid efforts behind it a lot of people will say that they only use social media for the paid aspect and that you can only get to return on investment with organic social by using paid and we actually say not so fast we can do it through organic but it just takes a lot of caring and prepping
4: give me like a, a very practical example of how you communicate feelings versus feelings instead of features, right? Uh, So what would be some examples of how you would do that?
1: Okay, well, I'm going to get nerdy on you for like a super hot second and tell you that I did my undergraduate thesis study on the social penetration theory. Terrible name, brilliant concept. But essentially what it says is to build relationships as humans, we have four levels of self-disclosure. Cliches, facts, opinions, and feelings. We'll call it the onion theory so we don't have to keep saying the P word, but... In the onion theory, and if you think about an onion, you have to peel back all of those layers before you get to the core, right? And think of the core as trust with the brand relationship. So if I'm sharing cliche information about my features or my products, somebody can go to my website and find that out, right? That's cliche. It's not sharing anything new. It's not a disclosure. If I share a fact, it has to be something that isn't otherwise known to be a disclosure, so if I'm constantly sharing my features over and over again, those facts, right, about those features become cliche. However, if I share something that's an opinion or a feeling, I'm trying to align myself with my audience and then get them to share those opinions and feelings back.
4: Are you seeing that this approach works just as well for what I would consider two of our biggest challenges, not only driving occupancy, you know, for marketing and sales, but also recruitment for team members appealing to those feelings? And, and how are you seeing that be used successfully if you are?
1: Yeah, we definitely are. So I think you have to understand how the process works. It's connection, right? And connection is a two-way street. So a lot of brands, I'll ask them like, why does your brand matter? And they'll say, oh, well, we have like 100,000 followers on Twitter. Our Facebook page has a million people. Okay, cool. And now what? Like how many of those people are engaging with you? How many are having conversations with you? How many of those people are turning into customers or getting into your pipeline without paid media? And a lot of times they don't have an answer for that. And the reason why is they're building a follower base, not a customer base. So if you can kind of change your mindset about how you use social media to connect and then have some of those conversations, you can better lead to conversion because you're not trying to market or share content to everyone, right? You're only trying to share with those who are your current customers or your would be customers. And then that does lead to ROI because what happens is that people who are in the same market, I won't ask how old you all are, but I'm Gen X, okay? So for me, using social media is a newer thing, but I still use it pretty easily. I'd rather go to social and find out information than like pick up the phone and call someone, right?
4: I've heard a lot of people say that the reason why they advertise and spend a lot is to get speed of transaction Is it a slower ramp up in to build because I'm hearing relationship and it seems like, well, that doesn't happen just immediately. So if we are committed and we want to go down the path of this process, if I'm a provider listening to you and I'm, I'm really wanting to believe it, what do I need to be ready for? What do I need to be committed to doing? What kind of patience do I need to have to get this kind of long game going?
1: Yeah, it's dating, right? We're not jumping into marriage, right? If you want something right now, absolutely use the paid advertising to get you those results right now. But ultimately, I think the reason why people go for paid all the time is because they want the quick route and because that's the easiest form of attribution, right? If somebody clicks through on an ad and they go to your form and they end up taking a tour and then they become a customer, that's really easy to track. What I'm talking about is harder to track. However, we've come up with a concept called the CARE method, C-A-R-E, and essentially what we're doing is we're looking at all of the conversations, that's the C, on social media, and then we're applying A and R, acquisition or retention tags to all of those conversations. So how much of the conversation is acquisition? How much of the conversation is support, right? Retention. So... When I asked my clients, when we first started doing this, like how much of the social chatter do you think will be acquisition? Meaning those people who are on the path to purchase, looking to buy and across the board, they all said zero to 5%. But what we found was that all of them had at least 20% acquisition happening chatter on their social channels. I'll give one example. One client who has 12 product lines had four that month over month, continuously to this day, this was two years ago, has 60 to 80% acquisition change. They weren't doing nothing. To address that it's low hanging fruit. It's right there on the table. So if you were able to go through and do an audit of your social channels, conversations, right? That's important. And then look at the acquisition and retention, apply those tags. And then you can start to think about engagement, right? The E in care to understand how to then close those conversations that are acquisition-based, right?
4: I'm kind of hearing you say between the advertising, the relationship building, and I'm obviously dumbing this down for myself. We take a balanced approach as needed, but I would imagine if we get that relationship game really going, it may get going good enough that we can see that our reduction in our advertising spend could drastically go down, right?
1: Oh yeah, definitely. And one of the interesting things that we're working on right now, a case study with a, it's a financial brand, so not the same industry, but we know that their call center, the calls are $14 per call. That's what it costs when somebody calls into the call center. On social, we know that we're we're going to get the exact dollar amount for this case study that we don't have yet, but we know for a fact we're under $5. It's not just thinking acquisition or retention. It's also thinking about operations and how you can reduce overhead and things like that. So I just think it's a really interesting and innovative way to use social media that not that many brands are doing, right? They're still focused on the cliches and the facts. So if you can kind of change the mindset and go into thinking of more opinions, feelings, conversations, right? The acquisition, the retention, the engagement, you can get to revenue and you can really easily beat out your competitors, because I promise you they're probably not thinking that way.
3: I would love to see some practical examples. So um, we're obviously, this is senior living. Social media is now more common for the operators and the providers to be providing that type of content. Who is that audience? Is it the adult daughter, the extended family, or the residents? And how does this play out in trying to develop those relationships instead of just Having a stock photo of some actors around a chessboard or a glass of wine or something.
1: So, I'm just about to release um, a report. It's called The State of Social Media Customer Care for 2023. And what I looked at was how do the different generations, starting with the boomers, use social media? And do they use social media? And what we found was even boomers are using social media just because sometimes you get a quicker response there. Their platforms used for boomers are more like LinkedIn and Facebook, right? They're comfortable on LinkedIn. It's very buttoned up, pretty professional. So, they, They're comfortable there making inquiries. Facebook is just where they've kind of been, right? That is now the the boomer platform. And then if you go to my generation, it starts to get into more like Twitter and Instagram and down and down and so forth and so on. So I think really it depends, right? Who is your audience at your facility or at your place of business or within your industry? And then understanding where those people are spending their time on social, understanding your audience. And then going to those platforms and spending your time and investing your money there versus shiny object syndrome, which is like, let's be on all the platforms, but if you're not having those conversations, if you're not speaking directly to that customer base, remember, we don't want a follower base. We want a customer base, then it's not going to do you any good. You're going to be spinning your wheels, which is what I feel like a lot of brands are stuck in right now. They're kind of on the hamster wheel of like producing all of this content, being on all the channels, but not really getting to the customer.
3: Does this live or die by the ability of the activity professional or somebody at the community being able to shoot this stuff on an iPhone? Can this be handled by a centralized corporate marketing and sales leaders um, that is basically spending thousands and thousands of dollars to send out film crews to go and film this high-quality, highly emotional interview style? No
1: people don't want stylized content, right? This is why TikTok is exploding the way it is, because it's not stylized. This is like shot from the phone, you know, your, your tears and your snot are like coming out if it's a really emotional video, right? It's like, Y'all are as old as I am, I think. But remember the Blair Witch Project?
4: Um, yes. yes, I've tried to forget it, but yes. 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 I, like I lived that. in Orlando during the filming of that.
1: Okay. Yes. So then you know what I'm talking about. It didn't feel stylized, right? We all thought it was real because that's how they marketed it, but also because of the way it was shot. And that is really what people appreciate today. So it really is boots on the ground. You know, people who are able to capture that content. It might even be residents who are capturing that content. And then you, you have what we call user-generated content. And with their permission, you can use that to then again, post to your sites or your social media pages so that Sally is showing you how fun art class is versus the corporation.
3: Brooke, great conversation. Really appreciate it. And you have a book, right?
1: I do. It's called Conversations That Connect. It's on Amazon. You can look up Brooke Sellis again. But yeah, it's all about like the psychology behind what we just discussed. And then part two goes into the very like tactical, okay, now here's how you actually get it done.
3: Gotcha. And I presume you're on social media.
1: Uh, yeah.
3: (laughs) Okay. You're very, very good. And so we'll make sure that we connect uh, to all of your links in our show notes here. Brooke, thanks for spending time with us today.
1: Thanks for
2: having me.
3: We have a great guest on today, Sam Tomlinson with Warshawski. Did I get it right? Nailed it. Nailed it. Well, good. You are doing two different panels today and tomorrow. And I believe one is on lead generation and then one is on
2: automation. Pretty much. Yeah. So today's was... Lead scoring, marketing automation, how to make leads work for your community. Tomorrow's getting the leads to work for your community.
3: Okay, so everybody here at this conference knows what lead scoring is. I'm not a marketer, I don't know what lead scoring is, and I'm sure a couple of our listeners don't either. Can you explain that?
2: Sure, so lead scoring is basically the process where you take a bunch of leads that are coming in the door and look at various factors about them, whether that's their qualification level, how well they fit your community's needs, Uh, their financial ability to pay, their willingness to join your community, how much that, what you have to offer aligns with their personal values, taking all those things, computing a numeric score and using that to determine how ready or not ready a given lead is to be sent to the sales team. Sounds like it's a helpful
3: scoring system so that the sales team and the marketing team can somehow align on the quality of leads that are coming in. Do I have it?
2: Pretty much. I mean, that's kind of the way it's usually used. I think it's a little bit underused in that sense. So a lot of today's presentation was all about, well, yeah, it's good for that. 100% great for that. But it's also really good for understanding where your leads might be coming short and how you should be thinking about addressing those gaps.
3: Was there a time for Q&A where you got some, some questions about how this actually practically
2: plays out? A lot of them are frustrated by lead scoring because a lot of the models are outdated. They're super manual. They are suboptimal in how they're implemented. So a lot of people are wondering like, okay, well, how do you actually do it better? Because realistically, lead scoring hasn't changed since like 2010. Wow, it's all kind of rule-based, it's kind of manual, it doesn't have to be that way, right? Like a lot of times the pushback that you get from communities is like the sales team's like, well, this was a super high scoring lead and hey, we're not ready to talk to me. And the marketing team's like, well, they're super high quality leads. Why are you bad at sales? A lot of it's bridging that gap and seeing like, okay, well, where where is this lead strong? Are there factors that are saying that you know what? even though it looks good, it's really not because we really do have to align everybody like you said, I get on the same page. You talk to a lot of communities a lot of the comments where like, well, we're not on the same page. So how do we convince them this is a better page to get on? And a lot
4: of that starts with just diving in, asking the right questions, and not assuming that what you've always done is gonna get the same results. One of the ways that we bridge the gap at these events is we take this thought leadership to them. And so this is
2: one half of what you're talking about uh tomorrow. Uh you said it's lead gen. Correct. Yeah, it's a lead generation playbook. If today was how to make those leads work for you, tomorrow is how to get the leads in the first place. I think especially in senior living, it's important because so much of the senior living marketing that we've seen over the last Three four years is stuff that I was like, all right, well, we were doing this in 2012, 2015, for better or worse, it's an industry that has been, like you said, a little bit like, well, we do things the way we do things and that's how we do things. So this is really looking at it from a much more modern approach. Like how should we be thinking about this? How should we be thinking about integrating different channels? How should we be thinking about our search landscape, right? Just for instance, Very popular topic is got a place for mom, I've got care.com, I've got our own inbound marketing, and then we've got our agency partner and we've got this and this and that. How do you think about this? How do you balance these different things out? How do you decide who should be funded and who should not? A lot of tomorrow is all about number one, looking at that, and number two, thinking about a holistic plan that actually looks across the whole life cycle about how both potential residents and adult children consume media where they're looking for answers and gets each community in front of those people that they need to reach in a way that is likely to result in positive interaction versus just more noise.
4: My understanding is you have clients in the industry. You've also got other industries that you serve, which I think gives you a good optic on being able to kind of have one foot in, one foot out, and also be able to bring things that are working from other industries and that consumer knowledge. On the one hand, where you see senior living marketing sales right now would be one of the biggest challenges that you see we need to overcome. And flip side of that, what what's kind of the, the biggest opportunity
2: you see? The biggest opportunity for senior living is probably the fact that it's been done the way it's been done. So the growth potential of those marketing campaigns, of those marketing initiatives is staggering. We work in hyper-competitive you know, plaintiff's attorneys, SaaS, fintech, home services, right? So those industries are brutally competitive. And when you take those same tactics that you've used in those industries and you bring them to senior living, you can really have a disproportionate impact. So that's the opportunities, the communities that start absorbing those tactics, learning, taking that test learn methodology, using modern bidding strategies, using data more, you can win and you can win big because you are not playing against professionals. That sounds really mean, but it's not. It's just you're not playing against A teams. You're playing against B and C teams. That's a huge opportunity. The communities that embrace that win and the communities that don't continue to struggle and they continue to have to rely on aggregators for leads that are super expensive and potentially not qualified, especially in certain targeted verticals that we all know it's nobody's fault. It's just the reality of life that the communities that can generate their own consistent flow of leads are the ones that are likely to be the most profitable. And then the other big one is Candidly, there's a lot of people who have a lot of means who are starting to consider 55 and over independent living, assisted living communities. And when you couple that with the fact that we have a higher percentage of two-income households than we've probably ever had in our country's history, you have rising consumer debt, you have rising student loan debt, you have rates that are at 30-year highs for homes, right? All these factors are saying that Traditional models of care that are not a care home are less viable at this point. Just so many people that are going to be needing that kind of care over the next 5, 10, 15 years. And it's a huge opportunity.
4: Lucas, we've been hearing this already just one day into our event. In spite of challenges, obstacles, there's so much opportunity. And, you know, we were talking again, and I think one of our guests said, you know, we're the best marketers Our industry is penetrating maybe 10% of the age income qualified market. So you combine that with a lot of the things that we have been doing are a little bit outdated. That huge opportunity just for a fraction. And the exciting thing is to see the passionate people that are assembled here at Smash, listening to great thought leaders like Sam, and it gives an awesome opportunity and runway. So, you know, I hope our listeners, whether they're in the industry or thinking about getting into the industry, They see the runway and the opportunity to really, no matter what you're doing, there's huge opportunities to come into senior living and, you know, hopefully our podcast, uh, getting this out to them, helps spread that word. Yeah, I hope so, because it's,
2: like you said, it's huge. It's it's a massive industry and it's, it's needed.
3: Great comment to end on. And same we thank you for your time today. Of course. Spend some time with us. And we're going to make sure we connect with you in our show notes. And to our listeners, go to btgvoice.com and connect with this episode and so many more. We'd love to hear your comments and conversations around that. We'll be posting this on LinkedIn and our other social channels. So feel free to chime in. We'd love to hear from you. And thanks for listening to another great episode of Bridge the Gap.
1: Thanks for listening to Bridge the Gap podcast with Josh and Lucas. Connect with the BTG Network team and use your voice to influence the industry by connecting with us at btgvoice.com.